What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, host of Seeking Excellence Podcast. And I got my man, Seth Schluter, with me today. What's going on, man? Dude, I'm just pumped to be here. Pumped to talk. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, I'm super excited. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, just to give some context, we, I don't know if, if you know, I know maybe some of the listeners have heard that I've done some content recently on fundraising your salary. And it's called, a little bit of fires started a little bit of a stir here, especially here in Denver, you know, um, and it's been super fun, but I've got some great feedback, some pushback from people. And I've wanted to interview somebody and bring somebody on to discuss it. Now, it's not the only thing I want to discuss today, but um, you were the most willing and first one to <laughs> jump at the opportunity to talk about it with me. So I'm excited. And thank you for, for your willingness to come on and share a little bit. Yeah, man. And it's super fun. Cause like, I, like my job, we have people in our ministry that like specifically like do the fundraising, like teach it and, you know, train people in it and all that jazz. I have nothing to do with that. I do fundraising myself, um, but it's going to be fun. Cause I'm like, I, I think I have a, a really um, balanced perspective of it kind of coming. I'm just, I'm like I'm just an ordinary dude. Who's like, Hey, I kind of do this. I do do this. And I kind of like get a little bit of it. And it's gonna be fun to just talk about it and dive in. Yeah, I thought I, I've been telling people as I've been leading up towards, you know, I've talked to a few people about preparing and, and just recording with you and stuff like that. And I think uh, one thing that I thought was going to be interesting with you, which I think I only check half my box. So I want to continue this conversation with somebody else as well, is I was like, I think you're an interesting combination of you obviously do some things and you've worked in the past, I'm sure, in different jobs where you've been paid, you know, in, in just the kind of typical way. And then you've done the fundraising thing. And even currently, from my understanding, you have both kind of streams of income in your life. And so I think that's a very interesting perspective that you bring. But I also think uh, you might agree with me more than some people do. (laughs) (laughs) I got to still, I'm still hunting for somebody who just like hated it, you know, so I just listened to it It was just like, all of that was trash. And we have a, we have a mutual friend too, Gabe uh, Gessler, shout out to Gabe. I know he's going to be listening to this and we were talking about it too, because he, he texted me about something totally random. And I reached out, I was like, I was like, dude, I'm dying to know. It was like the week after the podcast came out. I knew he had heard it. <laughs> so I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, homie, homie, I'm dying to know what you think. And so he expressed, you know, he was like, I agree with most of it. I think some of it was fair. Some of it he disagreed with. I forget what percentage mm-hmm. he gave me, if it was 60% or 80% or something that he agreed with. Yeah. But um, yeah. Well, here's so the cool he, thing. And you said this, you said it's in the podcast. Like, I think what I love most about it is, and just what you do in general is like, there are some things that people just, it's like the, you can't touch. It's like the no touch. Zone. It's like the sacred cow. You know, it's like, you can't yeah. touch, you can't touch it. And I think what you're doing and with this conversation, like I listen to it and I'm like, there are a lot of good points here. And I, I think disagree is more strong than, than like, I think there's just a different side to it. I think there's a nuance to it that I've experienced yeah. and a goodness to it that as I've wrestled with it a lot because it, it doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> so I've had mm-hmm. to wrestle, but I've found the good in it. But even in the midst of that, I love, I think nothing should be off limits when it comes to conversations about it. And that's why I love that you brought it up and like, Hey, I don't, I here's some thoughts that I just want to share. And I think you did that in a really respectful way um, where you just shared thoughts and you did it so respectfully and with honor, but also it was like, Hey, I see some problems here that I think would be worth at least having a conversation about. And I think that's just awesome. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Cause I think guys like you, people like you, not just guys, but People like you, for me, were such a great litmus test for it because I know that sometimes I can be 
you know, just savage. And I could just go off on something and I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> I about. And it. I just like let passion, it. you know, be like too crazy. And so I remember I had some friends who are, you know, focus missionaries, culture project missionaries, yourself, you know, Damascus friends who I like when they listen, I was like, I was really nervous to hear what you guys were going to think about it because <laughs> I'm like, if, if you or Gabe or some of my focus missionary friends or culture project, if they were like, dude, like that was bad, you know, then I'd be like, <laughs> okay, I can respect that. But then there's certain people yeah. who, disagree with it i feel like i had enough reasonable people who do it that heard it and were like there's some good points here some things that i think you might be missing or whatever but it was more of like tweaking or like changing or pushing back on aspects of it versus just mm -hmm. some people who were just like we need to shut this down and when i yeah. got the reaffirmation from certain people who were in the industry or in that world that were like yeah some of this is good even if it's just some of it even if it's 40 percent mm -hmm. <laughs> but didn't sure. think it was trash then that tells me that the people who are just trying to totally shut it down that they're off base you know and that there's yeah. something deeper there and that's what made me want to push even deeper into it and it's obviously been so i mean the feedback that i've gotten from people i've taken a lot of screenshots i want to keep every every piece of feedback anonymous of course but just to kind of keep it you know uh organized in a certain sense but the feedback yeah. to it the podcast i mean is one of it's going to be my one of my most listened to ever um, wow. You know, episodes and just like the That's engagement awesome. around it has been sure. really crazy. And I don't, I don't do it just for that, but I think that it shows me that it strikes a chord with a lot more people than I feel like the people who are trying to silence it at first really realized mm -hmm. it kind of acted like it was kind of this fringe experience right. or opinion, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah, a lot there. But Sabra. first, before, before we get started, thank you. Before we get started, though, tell us who you are, man. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, getting all excited. So no, it's good. Tell no, us about like, your here we go. Let's just go into it. Dude, I love it. Um, uh, yeah, name is Seth Schleter. Seth is short for Joseph, actually, fun fact. Um, so my real name is Joseph, just a nickname that I picked up, decided to go along with. Um, born and raised Catholic family. I always like, grew up loving the faith. My, both of my parents were in ministry. Um, so I even kind of grew up. My dad also had kind of did support raising seasons and had other seasons where he was working like an actual normal job. Um, so I kind of grew up in this weird context of it too, which is also unique, but um, yeah, man, I uh, loved the Lord, really fell in love with the Lord in high school and just started kind of running after him and trying to, you know, pursue excellence in all things, you know, trying to, you know, um, just be the person that God created me to be and the best version of myself to, you know, steal the Matthew Kelly line. Um, and, Thought I was going to go to uh, college. I had a full ride to Ave Maria University in Florida. My older sister was there. I had a roommate picked out and felt like God just was calling me to give it all up and go be um, join mission at this place called Damascus. So parents loved that one, as I'm sure you can imagine, you know, giving up a full, a full ride to go out, do missionary work. Um, but it was awesome. And that kind of really jump started my journey with the Lord and with ministry and um, even music stuff. I kind of, I liked music. I liked leading worship. Um, I hadn't really done too much songwriting, but came to Damascus and really the Lord just started blessing a lot of things. And I just started getting more serious about it, started releasing music. And then, um, yeah, I got in touch with some people from the industry world in Nashville. And then this past year, I just signed a record deal with Sony's Christian division called Provident. So I'm a, I'm a signed artist now with Sony. Um, which is a uh, flex kind of, I'll be like, we'll be like, I'll watch a movie, like, you know, into the spider verse and like Sony pops up. I'm like, that's my label. <laughs> yeah. That's your company, it's, baby. Yep. That's, that's, I'm like, I wish I got like discounts on their cameras or stuff like that. I don't know. That'd be, um, that'd be hype. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, I've been, I'm a, I'm a signed artist there and also still doing mission work, which kind of you referred to in the sense that I, I have kind of a 
dual thing where part of it's support raising, part of it's not. Um, so yeah, man, that's kind of the, the super brief of uh, of where I'm at right now. That's really interesting. And so, is your work at Damascus like what's your title there? Is it are you just you're not? I want to say just, but are you like is the worship team? Is that your role at Damascus, or do you have other kind of jobs yeah. and stuff there as well? So my my title is the worship director. So we have a we now have a department that's kind of oriented around the worship things that we do. So I'm the worship director of the department, and so I have five people under me that I get to you know work with and um, just help kind of build the worship side of what we do at Damascus. That's awesome. And yeah, um, yeah you, you're obviously, you're on Hallow in a couple of different spots. Damascus is, mm-hmm. you got the song there with Matt Meyer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you just released a banger. How long ago did <laughs> uh, Counting My butt, Dude, I'm telling you, like, I listen to it every day. No way. I'm not, That's awesome. I'm not just gassing you up, dude. That Yeah, that, that last one is, is a hitter, man. It's super fun. So it was released July 28th. So okay. like a month ago, a little over a month ago, but it's wild. Cause I wrote it like two years ago. So it's really, like, yeah, it's just like, it was wild when it finally came out. I'm like, that's my baby. And it's like finally out in the world. So it's exciting. A lot of radio stations are starting to pick it up. Like it was played on Caleb. And, I saw that. Yeah. Um, it's just wild to see what the Lord's doing with it. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm really blessed by it. So it's really cool stuff. That's super cool, man. I love to hear it. And so tell me about, so when you joined Damascus. Wait, first I forgot. This is another question I had. How old are you now? I'm 23, 23, 23 years old. Gotcha. Turned, turned 24 in December, so like 23 and a half or whatever. <laughs> and so Anne is your older sister, Anne Marie. Uh, Anne, yes, she is. Yeah, my older sister. Now she's Stroud is her last name. Um, That's right. But we, but uh, yeah. So it's wild because the guy that I was supposed to be a roommate with is now married to her. So when I was going to go to Australia, really? yeah, I had a roommate picked out and I had to tell him like, Hey, I'm actually not going to college anymore. He ends up marrying my sister. So he's roommates. He's like, cool. Now. I'm just going to, yeah, become roommates <laughs> with his sister eventually. Right. Super fun. That's wild, man. Very cool. So you're 23 now. Got it. So when you went to Damascus, did you know that fundraising was a part of it? Or tell me about that experience. Cause I know for a lot of people, and I'm happy to share mine too. I yeah. applied to the culture project when I was getting out of the army and just I felt like, like, called to do it people kept referring me to it and so i went and did like an interview weekend with them and uh yeah i've heard from i have the experience myself with it there or just like other people who when they're thinking about focus or culture project yeah. net uh where they're like man i got fundraise and there's a mixed emotions some people are like yeah no problem some people are like some people just don't even apply because they don't want to do that but mm-hmm. tell me about like your initial like how was the initial thought and how all that went Dude. down I was not excited. <laughs> it was something that for me was like, I'm doing this because I have to, but no part of me wants to. And that was even interesting because, sure. you know, again, I grew up where my, my dad at that point was support raising. So he run, ran a ministry and the entire ministry was, you know, like built off of people supporting it. So I saw kind of the pressures of that. I saw, you know, how people handled it. I saw kind of the awkwardness of it. And, um, so when it was like, hey, you need to support Raise to be at Damascus, I knew it was part of it. It didn't like surprise me, but it was something that I'm like, I'm doing this because I have to, not because I'm excited to. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. And so then when you get there, you go through your training, like, do you remember your first support call or the first person you asked, you know? Dude, I, it, yeah. So we did training and it's gotten a lot better through the years for sure. Because at that point, we were still trying to figure stuff out and like, how do we do this? What's the best way to do it? You know, I think for a lot of us, it felt just like the obligation thing. 
I remember like making a couple calls and just being, it was so awkward. <laughs> like, I like, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Like people that I just like didn't really talk to, but they have us like, you know, like brainstorm a list of people and like find their contact info. And then like, there's like a whole way of doing it. And again, at that point we were still developing it and what it looked like. But I remember a couple awkward calls where I like try to make small talk for a little bit. And then I like start to kind of make an ask and then they'd be like, yeah, I can't do it. And I'm like, okay, uh, have a good day. Bye. You know, like just like so awkward. Um, now think thankfully that there were like a number of people that are just good family friends that were like, yeah, like you're doing this thing. I believe in it. I support it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Um, and so that kind of got me through, but I would say my, uh, it was definitely a very rough beginning for, uh, for trying to raise funds. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. That's super interesting. I think, it's got to be tough. You know, I work in sales now and I'm like, you know, I know how people feel about cold calling and different things like yeah. that. And that's like the next level of it, right? Is to say, like, <laughs> <laughs> bro, dude, call it ass. Call it ass. Right. I'm calling somebody asking for money and it's like, I'm selling something, you know, like right. here, I'm going to, you give me money. I give you this to call it, ask somebody for money and, and be like, you give me money. Like I'm not going to send you nothing back in return. You know, and I'm not saying you get, that you get a newsletter. Good job. Exactly. <laughs> It's just harder, you know, like yeah. it takes, I would imagine that dropping down to cold calling and sales has to be easier after that. I mean, it's not your family yeah. and friends either, which is, which is nice too. It's, right. a, it's a stranger. So you don't have to worry about what they Never think or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so tell me about it. I think this is something that a lot of people thought I was off on. So I want to get your perspective on it. And I know I, <laughs> I sent this is one of the questions I sent you beforehand is tell me, and maybe, you know, Damascus story, or, or maybe you can just speculate, but why Catholic organizations choose this model? This is something that um, I struggle with sometimes. And I think, I, I don't think it is necessarily always bad. I think that there can be good applications of it. But to me, to a certain extent, like it can seem overused, or I think that it's, it's too often seen as like almost an, an easier route. And so mm -hmm. let me, and let me just explain what I mean by that a little bit. So I think that an organization to me, and I'm somebody like I started seeking excellence, right? Like I had a team, people have helped me with it and different things like that. If I wanted to be bigger, I know what I have to do to do that. I have to have more people helping me and doing things. And to me, if I was saying, okay, you can fundraise your salary. My goal would still be to eventually have more, as many people as I can not doing that or to be able to at least be able to provide some type of like, okay, I'll give you part of your salary, you fundraise part of your salary or something, right? Like there would be some type of like responsibility on the owner, on the founder, which I think is what a lot of companies feel when you start just a, an ordinary company, you know, a for-profit company, you want to feed your people, you want to give them their paychecks, right? What you agreed upon. Um, and I think that some places, it, it seems to me that the answer has always been, well, we can grow faster if we do this. And, and my response to that has always been, you know, yes, that's true. And, um, you know, Hallow or uh, Nike or uh, name any company, right? Or, you know, the pizza, my favorite pizza shop in town, they can, Capital Pizza could feed the homeless if their employees fundraise their salary, you know? And it's like mm. everybody could do more good or give more away, right? If they had their employees, the Archdiocese of Denver could do more service in the, in the poor, in the community, mm -hmm. if their employees fundraise their salary, but it's like, not everybody can do that. And so to me, yeah. that like part of the limitations of business is that you have expenses. One of those, the largest expenses typically is payroll. And so right. that's always been kind of my, the major one that I've heard in my pushback against that is always like, yes, well, every, every business would grow faster mm -hmm. if they put the onus of 
salary on the employee. And so yeah. what, what do you think? What am I missing there? What are, what are some of the other reasons? Like, why is that a, a better model for some to, to choose? Yeah. And I, I think this is a great That's point really that you question. brought up. In the, no, it's, I love it. You, get so much, you flushed it out really well. Because I think this is a really good point that you brought up in, in the podcast. And it even just like had me thinking like, yeah, why, why do people do it? And I think like, the reason you said it is exactly why I think most people do it. Because it helps you grow faster. And I think you can justify that because it's like, well, the faster we grow, the more souls we can reach. You know, So therefore, Absolutely. we need to prioritize growth in every way. And I don't always think that's the most healthy way. You know, I think it actually should be something that I think people, instead of just being the default, I think people should need to pray about it and ask, like, is the Lord calling us to this and why? So instead of it just being a default, like, all right, we're starting a ministry, support, raise everything, you know, it's like, is the mm-hmm. Lord calling us to this, you know, for, for a ministry like Damascus, maybe yes. For a ministry like Hallow, maybe no, you know, like, I don't think it's like a one yep. size fits all thing. I think what, what I've found the benefit. Or, or, or the reason in some ways, there's a couple kind of things I want to I want to touch on briefly. One, I think this is the most exciting one for me, is that it's a way of bringing other people into mission. So I think mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that you talked about in the podcast was even just like who who should be called a missionary and like who shouldn't be called a missionary, you know, like or and you gave the example of you know the um, the guy who said yeah I'm in the military and then you're like okay well barely <laughs> you know like the and then you have like the ministry, you know, you have someone doing ministry work in Haiti, and it's like, wow, that's like really impressive. And then you have somebody who's, you know, an accountant for an organization, you know, very right. seemingly very different. Now, where I would push into that is, I believe that every person's actually a missionary. You know, I think like there's a universal call to mission that we have, and we have people that are more directly missionaries in the sense that they are, you know, the priority of their job, so to speak, is a ministry related job. But at the same time, we have what we call marketplace missionaries, your lawyers, your doctors, your teachers, your whoever they are, salespeople, that they are bringing Jesus into the sphere of influence that God has given them. And they're every bit of a missionary as someone at Damascus or Focus or Culture Project. And I think that's a really important thing that I believe really strongly because like you're a missionary, you know, these people are missionaries and because we are taking the mission of Jesus and bringing it to people. Now, the cool thing about support raising, we call it support raising, not even fundraising, because in our minds, it's not just at Damascus, like it's not just about, oh, bring us the funds. It's like, hey, we want support, like we want to grow in supporting one another in this thing. So it actually, there is a a mutual type thing. But for us, it's an opportunity to bring people into mission in that way that may never actually have the opportunity to go into mission in that way. So when I have, let's just say, you know, 30 people on my support team. And then that is 30 people who may or may not have been engaged in actually actively supporting the church or actively supporting a ministry within the church that now 30 more people are directly being missional for the sake of the gospel, if that makes sense. So I think that's like one of the really cool things is we say like um, we get to we get to give by going and we invite people to go by giving is kind of the, the turn of phrase that we use. I'm sure other people probably use it too. That like we actually, not everybody can go to the middle of nowhere Ohio and run retreats that serve, you know, hundreds of kids. But by supporting, it's like actually saying, hey, I have a stake in what you're doing now too. And so I'm able to be part of that because of my my dollars that are supporting and making this happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. I think I have two things that I kind of want to push it back on it. My first is, do you think it's, 
somewhat contradictory because to me it feels like it might be. And and this, uh, obviously we're working this out together, right? So I'm not full because yeah. you're saying things I'm hearing for the first time somewhat, right? Um, but I think the juxtaposition for me is interesting to say that everyone is a missionary, but then we're also pulling people who are marketplace missionaries into this mission work by giving them the opportunity to give and support. And I think mm-hmm. that to me, it sounds like it sounds confusing to to say that every one of us are missionaries, but then those of us who are marketplace missionaries have to also contribute to individuals who are doing, I don't know what the different category would be to, you sure. know, evangelization missionary work, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. to say that, okay, I'm a marketplace missionary, which to me is, is difficult and obviously hard in its own way. And there's sure. different levels of evangelization missionaries that are, the varying level of difficulty, it, it's yeah. it's huge, right? The range. Yeah. Um, some people are having really fun times on college campuses, and some people, like <laughs> you said, are like I said, are in Haiti. You know, right? Worried for their lives, literally, and for the lives of the kids at the orphanage, like my friend Leanne was. And so, for me, it's like, okay, if you're a marketplace missionary, say you're a doctor in a, at a public university or something like that, and you're Catholic, or like for me, I was a soldier, and you're in this environment that is very anti the faith, is very anti Catholicism, and you're the one promoting goodness, you're promoting values. Then it's like, okay, then you're getting asked to then also participate in this evangelization ministry. Yeah. Um, and, and one of my biggest qualms with this, and I don't want to derail it too much, is the kind of long distance aspect of it. But mm-hmm. all of those things kind of tied in. And sorry, all my questions are so long. No, I all of those things kind of tied in together. Do you think, because this is one of the challenges that I think I have a theory of that nobody, we can't prove, right? But your thoughts on it. Do you think that you or somebody asking me if I'm a Catholic doctor in a tough secular world, mm-hmm. that allowing me or asking me to participate in, especially if it's long distance, I think that does impact it. But in a mission for a missionary, for an evangelization missionary, does that then lower some of my responsibility that I feel because I feel like I'm participating in ministry and evangelization in that way that then when I'm in the the boardroom or I'm, you know, in my platoon, I'm like, I don't need to speak up on this because you kind of already feel like you're checking the box on doing some type yeah. of evangelization. Do you think that at least and, that that's possible? I, it totally could be. And, and I think that's where ideally when I am interacting with my support partners, I'm actually encouraging them and getting them fired up about what God is doing and how they can actively engage in it. And I'll tell you, even mm-hmm. as a, as a missionary, you know, I still, I still tithe and I still support other ministries or missionaries that I believe in too. So in my mind, it's like, I, I I've heard it said like every, every dollar is like a soldier and, and you get to decide with your soldiers, you know, how you want to advance the kingdom of God. And I think it's awesome because I get to pour myself out day by day doing ministry in a very like direct way, whereas not everyone gets to. But at the same time, like I had a friend who went to Egypt um, to go minister to Muslims there. And he works at Damascus, but over a summer, he was like, I'm going to go to Egypt and I want to go, you know, minister to Muslim people. And I'm like, I love that. And I wish I could do that, but I'm not in the state of life where I can. So I actually want to support you because like my, like the dollars, like the money that the Lord has given me that I've worked for and I've like, I have, um, yeah, I've poured out for like, I want that to go support you and what you're doing there. So I think it's like, there's a both and that can exist within it. Like, yeah, we're all missionaries. And also at the same time, in the ways that we've been blessed and the things that we've been given, are we able to actively contribute to the, like the things that God has put on our heart, the passions that's like, Hey, I actually have a passion to see 
the youth of this generation encounter Jesus because I wish I would have had that growing up or whatever it might be. It's like, oh, here's a ministry that's doing that. I think that's really powerful and really like a great thing. And so I want to support that with the, the gifts that I've been given, with the talents and treasures that I've been given. I want to support that and have that place. So I, I do think, you know, to your point, someone can use that as an excuse not to do mission. But then I think the missionary has a responsibility to encourage that person to be like, hey, actually, we're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to do it. And I'm so grateful that you could join me in this mission. But like, let's continue to call each other into deeper mission. Yeah, because I think I think that's the challenge, right? We obviously have a church, in my opinion, that has a lot of people who are not engaged in sharing the gospel, right? That are not engaged yeah. in evangelizing. A lot of workplace missionaries that are not doing their job, right? They're very sure. silent. The faith is very much hidden. What they do on Sunday is what they do on Sunday. And then the way they live the rest of the week is is totally different from that. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of my fear. And, and maybe I would say is a little bit of a less common objection. But I think this is probably one of the points that I think I brought up that not as many people had thought about before is the idea that maybe um, you give by going and other people go by giving is that makes them feel like that's their going. That's right. It, that's right. all their that's all their going has to be. And I think that for me, one of the challenges, and I want to hear your thoughts more on this, is diving deeper into that that long distance aspect of it. So if I am somebody who wants to see young people encounter the faith, would it be better, do you think, for me to give to support youth missions that are happening in Ohio, or should I be focused more on things that are happening in Denver and my parish, mm-hmm. you know, my parish youth group, giving money to my parish youth. Most parish youth groups, I mean, I meet with a lot of them. They're trying to buy hallow or things like that. Like their budgets are tight. Yeah. They don't have a lot of resources. They're not, you know, most parishes aren't balling out. You have some that are <laughs> for sure. But sure. And maybe if you are at one that is balling out, you still could tie to your parish, but maybe the parish would help out local parishes that are not mm-hmm. as, as financially successful or not successful, but thriving, I should say. Um, yeah. But what are your thoughts on that? Because that, that's something that I think I really wrestle with as well, because I think that that would still allow us to have the idea that, you know, I'm not going to go be the youth minister and maybe I'm not even going to be a youth core team volunteer, but I'm still, I think, giving to that locally, you know, when needs come mm-hmm. up. Like, I feel like if I have that mindset of I'm generous to those things and I'm going to be more generous because I can see the impact, I can see that they're my friend's kids or this is a school my son's going to go to. And so like, I want it to be a thriving youth group for when he's there. There's also kind of that personal drive to it, which doesn't have to be like a selfish return necessarily. But um, I think that it would lower some of that uh, mindset that I'm kind of checking the box and allows me to say, okay, well, if they do need one-time volunteers for youth group, the youth group that I donate to, like I'll show up, you know, like maybe I will also give up my time or, and that inspires me to take that yeah. and extend that evangelization out to the rest of my life. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. And I actually, I feel pretty strongly as an overall principle that people should be tithing to their parish period. One, you should join a parish. So if you're not actively part of a parish, I think you should join them, which I think you had said in your podcast. Um, I say that very and, often. Yes. <laughs> and two, I, I do think, yeah, I, I, I feel like, if, if you are actively going to this place, you can't just be a consumer. Like you need to be supporting. Even if you like yes. feel like the parish is, you know, not engaging or not doing the things that you want it to do, you still like they are giving you Jesus every week. I think you have an obligation to like at least support them a little bit. <laughs> you know, so I actually am of the mentality that, that, that you should, reasonable. Right. That you should be you should be supporting your local parish. In addition to that though, I think like again, God has put different passions in different um, like 
yeah, I mean like burdens on our heart for people or people groups or whatever it might be. And I think that there's, he gives us that for a reason. Like I would have, again, I would have loved to um, go to Egypt, but it wasn't, it wasn't what God was calling me to do in any way. But I had like a passion sure. for it. I'm like, I want to see, I want to see those Muslims encounter Jesus in a radical way. Um, and I was able to give to, to like help make that happen for my friend. I think like, I think again, you want to prioritize having that local, that local church, but it's even like, you know, when you think of it in a business perspective, right. The, the places um, like the places that are going to, that are going to do well are going to keep doing well. And from a business perspective, and from a business perspective, if you start failing, if you're not doing good customer service, if you're not, you know, delivering the product, if you're not giving a good product, then gradually, like you're not going to get the money and you're going to go out of business, you know? And I think right. it's like, and, and so as a, when you're, when you're looking at options for where, you know, where to buy a phone or where to buy this, where to buy that, you're looking for like, who is, who is doing this well, <laughs> you know, like who is going to mm-hmm. give me a good product that I know is actually like, you know, going to benefit me in a good way. I think it's a similar, it's obviously different because it's, it's nonprofit. And I think you did a great job laying those, the, the difference between them. Out. I thought that was really insightful too. Um, but it's Thank like, you. I want to, I want my money to, to be used well. If, again, if, if every dollar I have is like a soldier, I want to make sure that the, that it's being used in a way that is actually advancing the kingdom of God. And one of the really important things I think you brought up was about how there's with nonprofits, oftentimes you don't have as, as much accountability. I think that was really important because I think the more mm-hmm. accountability you have, the more you feel confident and comfortable. I think I know a lot of people who don't want to give to a diocese, like they have the annual diocesan appeal or they have you know, the church is reaching out for this. And they're like, I don't even know what happens with that money. Cause it seems like the diocese isn't doing anything, or it seems like my church isn't doing anything. And obviously again, right. I, I think you need to support the local church, but I think that mentality makes sense when people are thinking, I don't know, I want to give to something that I actually believe is doing something. I think it's one of the reasons people are, are pumped to give to Damascus because they see, you know, 7,000 kids encounter, like we, we did this survey this year was really focused on the Eucharist. Uh, which is wild because we do it. It's a six-year cycle, so we just like go through the cycle of different themes. You have a Mary theme. It just came um, up. Eucharist. So actually, this year wasn't Eucharist. Last year was the Eucharist. Um, oh, this okay. year was the Pasch- the Paschal Mystery, though. So we talked a lot about the Eucharist, and um, we did this. Uh, we did which last year was the first year that did, like they started talking about the whole Eucharistic thing. So we had that, and it was wild. And then this year was Paschal Mystery, Death, Life, Death, Resurrection, and we did like an exit survey, basically about. Did you go into camp believing in the true presence of the Eucharist and did you leave, you know, and the mm-hmm. results were just like crazy. Like almost every kid, even the Protestant people coming in ended up leaving with like believing in the true presence of the Eucharist. And so it's like people want to give to something that they see is having results, which is the same thing in the business world that, you know, you support, you invest in a company that, that has results that you're seeing things for. So that's a long winded answer to, to basically be like, yes, I believe, I think there's a both and I do think you need to support your local church. And I think if God has given you a passion for something and you see a ministry that is having results and advancing the cause of the kingdom of God, I think then I think there's a good in being able to invest in that and support that and join the mission because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I I think um, for me, one thing that I I think I tried to explain on the podcast that I, I, Mm -hmm. I still kind of struggle with, even though I agree with a lot of what you just said there is I think there's a fundamental difference in my mind between Egypt or Haiti and given across the U S and I think that for me, and I think that that even can be different though. I think that something like 
Christ in the City or Vagabond, this kind of hits on a different principle that I had of like nonprofits before back in the day. You, you know, you mentioned kind of my breakdown of what nonprofits are and, and the distinction between them and for profits as really kind of a tax distinction. But I feel like the nonprofit status was largely given because they were serving a community that couldn't afford their services. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you see like crisis city and vagabond often do this. And I don't, I don't know the, the communities that Damascus serves. So this isn't a criticism of them. What mm-hmm. I can say is that when I was in college, the kids that I saw in Bible studies, typically not all of them, 80% maybe from that were in the focus Bible studies were, were not coming from poor families. They, the mm-hmm. focus missionaries were largely not touching, you know, the black community at our school. This isn't a racist thing, but I just feel like they were uncomfortable. Yeah. They didn't know how to minister. They didn't know how to reach out to them. They didn't understand the culture. Like there was just this divide on campus and you didn't see a lot of, uh, a lot of black students in, in focus mission, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Bible studies and things like that. And obviously not all the black kids were poor, all the white kids were rich, but you still had this kind of distinction that I feel like the campus ministry kids Largely, not all of them, but many of them were coming from well-off families that it's like if their parents wanted them to go to Bible study, they could pay $50 a week for their kids to go to Bible study or whatever it would have been, you know, if that's what they felt like was necessary. Or they could personally donate or pay for their kids to have some type of thing with the local parish or a campus minister or whatever it would have been. Um, And that's to me is where it starts to get a little bit sketchier is when you're talking about giving within our country a long distance versus like, okay, you know, Leanne's in Haiti, like, no, the the people of Haiti are not paying for these orphans to be taken care of. So like we out of our abundance are giving to, to them to help support that. I think it becomes less understandable when you're talking about giving long distance to I always use the example of like buying snacks at a at, at Bible study at Florida State for kids that mm-hmm. come from middle class families. You know, sure. to me that's like it just feels different. You know, like I just think there's yeah. a a distinction there. But do you have any thoughts on that before I ask you about something else you said? Yeah, no, I mean I, I, think, the last I, think, I think it's a, a good. It's definitely like a good thing to ponder and think about. I think part of it though is I I don't know if there are enough like families or. um or even like people in ministry that are passionate enough to make something like that happen. So it's like, yeah, you may have these kids coming to Bible study, but their parents may not care at all. Their parents may be anti against the church. Like they may be anti-church. They may be, you know, you just really, you don't know. So in the ideal world, everyone shares the same priorities. You know, everyone believes, hey, it is a priority that our kids, you know, or our students have um, access to a Bible study, access to a small group, access to faithful, whatever it might be. I think that's like the ideal world, but the reality is it's, it's not there, you know? So what if you're passionate about something that the school isn't passionate about or something that parents aren't passionate about, you know, it's like, how do you actually, I, I have a passion for what maybe it is like, you know, um, college students like that, that don't know the Lord or that are wayward that are, you know, you, homosexual, whatever it might be. Like you have a passion for a specific thing and it's like, yeah, nobody's going to no, like their parents aren't going to support that. The school's not going to support that, whatever it might be. Okay, how how do we bring the gospel to them? And I think support raising is an awesome way to do that. I think it's it is a way to get into places um, where you don't have to then rely on our, the support of um, parents who may or may not care about it, or a school that may or may not care about it. It's a way to kind of to bring the gospel into a place um, that may or may not actually end up getting like having the opportunity to to hear it. Yeah. For sure. I, I think that that makes sense. I think I wish that, and I think there's some examples here in Denver, and obviously it's, this isn't applicable worldwide, but I think in 
a lot of the U.S. it could be where I think that if the local parish took more responsibility, you'd have people who could do those things, you know, and I think we could still have Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday night college Bible studies here at the University of Denver. If the parish that was that University of Denver was in their boundaries, took that as part of their ministry, you know, and there are a lot of parishes that do that. And there's a lot of parishes that have they end up hiring a campus minister as part of their staff. And they don't have, you know, a group of missionaries there. And obviously we're getting into a realm. Mm. This is why I want to talk to my focus. But um, <laughs> when the parishes can do that, right, they fundraise mm. or whatever, they increase their tithe or they say, hey, like these parish, these uh, college students are in our boundaries. Like it's our responsibility because every Catholic that's in a parish's boundary, like, right, that pastor is responsible for yeah. it. And so it's like we are responsible for that. And I think that to me, that's where we start to see kind of this institutional pull between and like breakdown of, of roles and responsibilities mm-hmm. where it's like we could still do those things we could still be present at different things and have like you know pro-life stuff or you know encounter students and obviously it's deeper you can go deeper if you're living with them um and on campus I mean, full time but yeah in the ahead. ideal world like i mean if, if a parish was was um doing all the things that you talked about, which I agree is the ideal parish, right? You know, they're invested in every person, in their parish boundary. They want to see them come to Jesus. And in an ideal world, no, like Damascus wouldn't actually have to exist. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Like I think I, a lot of them would. Yeah. Right. That's, I think the truth of it, the, the problem is we're not living in that ideal world, you know? So, and that's sure. why I do think it's important to, to build up, you know, parishes um, and support them. But also to again see like okay where what ministries are are really doing things to advance the kingdom so that we can have better priests and better lay people so that ideally the parish can actually be built up to what it's meant to be you know I think yeah. I, I think it's like a both and kind of thing where ideally what you're talking about would be the the you know the best case scenario the hard thing is it's it's just very seldom is that the the what's happening or what we're seeing absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And I, I I wish that more Catholic leaders and speakers and thinkers and priests and bishops would talk about that. I think that's something that has kind of been a theme of mine for like the last six weeks since I really kind of picked up mm-hmm. my podcasting again really consistently is talking about ideals and and really just listing them out, saying this is what we should strive for. Because we're a Catholic church, we're the church of ideals, right? I mean, yeah. if you if you listen to, I've been doing some deep dives. I might do a podcast soon on some like Stephen Furtick and Mike Todd stuff and some of the big kind of non-denom pastors. And it's like my biggest frustration with them is that they don't teach any ideals. They don't like mm. there is the only ideal is that you you profess Christ, you get baptized once and then you're good forever. Like there is nothing mm. to strive for. There's no there's no marks of a Christian, right? They kind of ignore Romans 12 in that way or any of the other writings of saints and, you know, scripture that points to like what we actually have to believe and think and do and and the way we ought to live. And I think that that's what we need to start to strive for is I would love to hear that from uh, an organization to say, Hey, like our hope is that we create this, like, and I would probably give more to the organizations. They were like, we're trying to create this next generation, like impact this generation so hard. We're trying to go so hard right now that when their parents, they're going to raise kids that don't need to have these experiences. Right. And maybe they still do. Maybe they still create, we want summer camps or whatever it is for kids to go do. But the goal I think is that the, the, our, our college freshmen are going to be so on fire when they get to college as freshmen that like, by the time they're sophomores, they'll be able to lead the freshman Bible studies and the juniors can lead the ones for the sophomores and the seniors can lead the one for the juniors. And then the parish is going to take care of the seniors, you know, and they're going to have young adult volunteers. They're going to, and it's just going to be like, that's going to change 
the game, right? And then the freshmen are going to be volunteering with the high school that the parish and all this stuff, the, the you know, the high school youth group and all these kinds of things. And so you're kind yeah. of seeing that, but I feel like we have no vision of that. And to me, it's just like people get frustrated when I just point out the fact that like, hey, let's start to move towards this. And like, that should be kind of our goal to get to. And I get it if we have to do some of these things that I don't love along the way, but like, let's still talk about what the, the goal and the We're, ideal is, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I agree with that. I think it's like, we, we have an idea that we need to shoot for instead of, I think sometimes we just kind of shoot in the dark a little bit and we're all over the place. Yes. Let's set out like, what is the ideal? How do we work towards it right now? That does involve ministries, you know, right now that does involve these like nonprofits doing specific types of ministry because the parish isn't, but at the same time, we can't just ignore the parish and throw it out because I believe that God still wants to work through the parish. And that is the ideal is that the parish is doing those things. 100%. I think it's also really interesting to me. I remember, you know, I'm a convert. And so when I started to get more involved in my faith and I really had this really interesting experience, right? Cause I converted in eighth grade and then I went through high school at the pretty lukewarm parish and only went to mass consistently once I got my driver's license every Sunday, you know? And so wasn't super involved in parish life or anything like that. And so I go to college and I had the college Catholic experience. And then I went to the army. So I had like the military Catholic experience. So I didn't have like real Catholic life until I was like 26. Right. And so I moved mm. to Cincinnati. I'm finally a part of like a normal and actually very thriving parish of St. Cecilia's there in Cincinnati. And it was amazing. But like throughout this time, right. When I'm in college and I'm going through uh, my army years, I'm like imagining that like Matthew Kelly and Curtis Martin and Tim Gray and like all these leaders of like big cat, like they're like getting together with like the <laughs> bishops and like having meetings to be like, how can we revive the church in America? Then I work at Dynamic Catholic and I come to find out that most of these guys don't even want to talk to each other. Most of them, not most of them, excuse me, several of these big dogs, not just the ones that I named, but like I'm talking, you know, name your Sikh speakers, your big Catholic leaders, right? The people sure. who have the large influence and big followings. A lot of them don't even speak to one another, right? They refuse to talk to one another. There's little collaboration in a lot of these organizations and companies. And it's just super sad to me. But I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that we, and this is where I'm trying to get to with all of this stuff, is that we as donors and we as the supporters, like you're the stockholders, right? We're both the stockholders and the stakeholders because you own the stock that you, the monthly giver and <laughs> the stakeholder, the fact that you're Catholic and you care about the future of the church. And so I'm like, well, this is the kind of accountability we should be calling for, the kind of reform we should be calling for to say, hey, let's get on the same page. You don't all need to do the same thing. We don't need a second Catholic prayer app. We have other things that we need and we could put those millions of dollars towards, right? You do this one thing, you do it really well. What is the pipeline and how are we giving people content for their different stages of their Catholic life so we're not keeping everybody in the 101 and 102 courses from the time they're through high school all the way to the time they're 50 and reading their 12th Matthew Kelly book that says the same thing that the first one said. Mm -hmm. You know, like let's start to get on the same team so we can fight for and work towards these ideals and then we right. can actually create a world in which everybody's being fed and everybody's got some aspect of where they can be reached. And to me, it's just so sad that people don't work together. And that doesn't have too much to do with what you said, but you just made me think of that. And so I wanted to share it because yeah, man. I'm really, really passionately about that, man. It's, it's and a I thing hope that our generation can change it. We're the church and we need to be more united is basically just the gist of it. It's like, yes. we're on the same. if the end goal is that we get to heaven and we bring like as many people as we can with us, and that we make this world look more like heaven, then like, let's stop. Like the, the devil loves when we 
when we when we face off against each other instead of uniting to face off against what the world is trying to do you know and that's the thing is i'm like let's let's collaborate instead of compete you know like let's let's be more focused on collaborating to see how can we ministry x ministry y ministry z parish x y you know all of us together we are the body of christ and we need to be unified and and trying to bring him to the world absolutely yeah, that's awesome, man. So you, you mentioned, and this kind of goes along with all of that stuff, is accountability. And I think that that sometimes for me is also something that I think is difficult because there's two aspects of this. I, and both of them are kind of rooted in this idea that I give of like goodwill. And so I think that like as a missionary, I think you have two forms of goodwill where you have to um, – one, you're kind of more in control and one, you're totally not in control. And so what I mean by that is you have the missionary to donor relationship or supporter relationship, and then you have the missionary to organization relationship. And to me, the one that you're not in control of is the missionary to organization relationship, which to me is the biggest, the bigger call on your goodwill, because I, I think, and I think a lot of people have, have reiterated this to me over the last month that I've been talking about this is, um, if if nobody if somebody's not paying you right then it's hard for them to tell you what to do because they're basically like a, a heavily bossed around volunteer to a certain degree now obviously there's different aspects to it there's more nuance to it because you're still fundraising through their organization like if you just tried to fundraise by yourself you probably wouldn't raise as much as you did you know having like an actual mission organization and their stats and all that stuff that helps you but still there's something to the fact that like they don't control your salary necessarily right mm-hmm. the second part of it I think is the supporters have a lot of goodwill just trusting that you as a missionary are actually working hard. You're doing the things you're saying you're doing right. And that like, you're actually giving it your all because I think that there's a good correlation. A lot of times when you have a for-profit company between if you and I, you know, if you were working for me or I was working for you and we were, you know, selling sneakers together, but you own the sneaker shop. If I just decide to show up, you know, to work for five hours a day and I'm not doing my job well, you can dock my pay, especially if I'm being paid hourly, right? I'm just not going to get paid for it. But then also, if I'm just consistently doing poorly, you can, uh, again, dock my pay or um, write me up or whatever, whatever it is. There's more repercussions for it. There's more direct oversight between the person that's paying you and your job performance. And so tell me what you think about that a little bit. What do you think about those two ways? One, I think I have a lot of respect for the humility of people who work for people that don't pay them. I think that that was something I'll never forget. That was something my, uh, one of my good friends said to me because the culture project and just, you know, they're good too. And, um, they do good work and I'm not just criticizing them, but they're very like dominating of your life. I don't know if Damascus is like this. I know obviously the culture project of focus to me, I know are the, two ones that I know of that do the like dating fast. And then uh, for the culture project, it was like, you got like one weekend off or two day period off a month. And then it was like six days a week and all this stuff. And it wasn't necessarily like you were working nine hours a day, six days a week, but you still like couldn't control your time, which to me is very mm-hmm. difficult, right? That's a lot to yeah. give up to say that you get to control what I do with 25 of my days a month. Um, <laughs> but I remember telling a friend that they were like, when I first said, oh, you have to fundraise yourself, this is a non-Catholic friend of mine. This is totally not on his radar. This type of thing even existed. And he said, well, no, they can't tell you what to do if they're not paying you anything. He's like, how are they going to control your life? And I was like, no, I actually only get like one, two-day period off a month. And he was like mind blown, right? And so tell me about that aspect of it, but then also share a little bit about um, what do you think about that? How, like, is there any way to fix that? Is there any way to improve that? Obviously, I think newsletters try to get that point across, but how do you actually have any oversight 
and discern if you are somebody that's supporting to know that you're not giving it to some half-assed missionary and you're actually yeah. giving it to somebody that's going to work hard and actually pour their heart out into the, right. the mission. And I, I think so much of that depends on the, the ministry itself. So like Damascus, for example, um, basically the way it's structured is also kind of unique. And I, I really like it because you have your, you do two, it's a two year ministry formation program. So you have two years of being formed. So you're getting once a week, you're getting, um, you know, f- like classes legit where you're, there's human formation elements to it. There's spiritual formation elements to it. It's like, how do we help you become someone who leads, leads the church and changes the world? You know, like, how do we, how do we build those type of people? And a lot of that then comes through at the same time, the the retreats that we do. And so people are coming to Damascus and they're seeing, wow, these, these missionaries are really pouring it out for these kids. Like they really don't have- when you're a when you're a missionary, you really don't have that much, that much option. <laughs> you the, the right. schedule is it's demanding, it's tough, it's like, but it teaches you. It, like for me, it's taught me so much. And even now, also like kind of being more in the in the um, more professional world, so to speak, with music stuff and whatever. The lessons that I learned as a missionary, I've like set me apart in that in other realms of things. Being able to like completely pour out, being able to like engage with any. I mean, I had engaged with middle schoolers like every day, all day. <laughs> you know, like if that doesn't form you, I don't know what went. Like things that things that just like you have to engage with and learn that like that just shape you is really really powerful. And we've also now recently started every week our missionaries have a Sabbath, so we have a, a, an intentional day where you are supposed to just rest, to stop. There's no work. You are Sabbathing. And that's a new development that we've incorporated over the last couple of years to build more of a rhythm of rest and routine. And then what's really neat too with, with Damascus is you have a two-year missionary program, and then you have an opportunity to join missionary staff, so more of like the staff side of things. And with that, you're not a fully salaried employee in the sense of Damascus is paying your full salary. What Damascus does is they join on as your as a big supporter for you, probably your biggest supporter. So they give you um, a donation that helps helps you along your way with the rest of your support raising. It gives it covers a big chunk of it. So it gives you a good head start. And it's them saying, hey, we believe in you enough to support you. We believe in you enough to like help you get along the way. We believe in missionary support raising because, you know, even even the way we teach it too, like Jesus and his disciples, there was like it says they lived off of the the um the means of other people that they donated to them. Paul talks about this too um in a couple of his letters in, in Corinthians, he talks about how like those who, who live by the gospel um, should, what does he say? Those who live by the gospel, um, should, or sorry, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He talks about that. And he even talks mm-hmm. about in um, Philippians about how um, he says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. So how even like him inviting people to support financially is a blessing for them as much as, as it is for him. So we still believe like, hey, we want to bring people into mission. But Damascus also believes in the mission on our lives, so they want to support it. So I think in that sense, it's really it's it's really unique, and it does add a level of more accountability too. Um, we've definitely like put missionaries on pause, or like been like, hey, for this, like we're gonna like actually we've discerned that because of X Y Z behavior, um, we're actually I, we don't think you're actually called to this program anymore, or hey, we actually don't feel like this is. Like we're going to have to, we're going to have to have some tough conversations here, you know, so there's that like level of accountability as well, that at least our ministry, I feel like I've, I've witnessed it firsthand a number of times. Um, because like you said, like there, there needs to be, um, a trust given that, Hey, when I'm, when I'm giving this person my hard earned money, that it's actually doing what I know it's supposed to be doing. 
and that comes through, you know, the organization, obviously the results and newsletters and, and all that kind of stuff. I think people can do a better job. I know I can do a better job, but I've tried to more incorporate, like, instead of just like once a quarter a newsletter, like a, uh, a monthly email. And then, you know, I try to text at least one of my supporters every day and, um, Hey, this is what I'm up to today. This is, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is the ministry I'm a part of. Here's an awesome testimony. So they can directly see, Oh, this money that I'm giving, here's how it's actually being used and, and how it's blessing the church in that way. So I think it's, it is definitely one of those things where you have to have a level of accountability, both to like, like the, the leadership of a ministry needs to be able to take accountability and say, Hey, we're, we are holding our missionaries to a standard. And if they don't fit that standard, then we're gonna have to have conversations and they, it may just be that they're not a bad person, but they may just not be called to this ministry, you know? And then as missionaries, we need to be accountable to the people who are supporting us. And that means I, I feel like I have a greater responsibility in um, what I purchase and what I spend money on because I'm like, mm-hmm. somebody, somebody gave me, you know, $10 a month. Maybe, like that doesn't seem like a lot, but for them, maybe that, that is their widow's might. And they did it because they believe in the mission. So is that $10 valuable to me? Or do I just, you know, get rid of it haphazardly because I don't really care about it. I think as missionaries, we need to be better at, at holding to that standard of every dollar is was someone's harder in money that they are now like using to support the mission that God has given me. So how can I best steward that money that I've been given? I don't, did that, is that answering your question? Yeah, I think that I think that's really helpful. And it leads into another one that I had, which is kind of just about, you know, caps and sacrificial living when it comes to being a missionary and how that looks. And I think that to me, this is where it also leads in. And I think you're engaged, correct? Yeah, I get married in less than two weeks, like 10 days. Let's go. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know was that too. Wow. That's incredible. Congrats. Yeah. That's Thanks. super cool. So, uh, so yeah, so sacrificial living and, um, kind of the missionary mindset, I think, and caps, I think that is also where it kind of leads into some of this tension, right? When you talk, start to talk about guys who are married with a family and things like that, because to me, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. If you, if you follow too, if you read what I say, like I am pro capitalism, I am pro, like, mm-hmm. I think wealth creation is a good thing. I think it makes society better. I think the reason why we have a middle, a comfortable middle class is because of capitalism and people pursuing profit and developing wealth, right? Like that's why we have air conditioning in all our houses and <laughs> refrigerators yeah. and microwaves right. and smartphones, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I think those things can be used for evil, but are largely good and, and net positives for society. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'm pro people not just, I I think we have to get out of thinking everybody has to be a Franciscan, right? Not everybody's a CFR, but at the same time, like we mentioned earlier, there's a certain aspect of when you tell somebody you're going to be a missionary, when you're asking somebody for support for money as a missionary, there is like to me, and I think most Catholics, especially most people on our side, there is an understanding or kind of an assumption that you're going to be living what you just said, that you're going to be saying, okay, Mm -hmm do I really need this new pair of sneakers or whatever, you know, like not that you can't just buy some things that you like, but that you're not going to be just balling out. Right. Like there's some, some sacrifices being made. Right. Yeah. And so I think that gets even more difficult when you start to get into the point of um, say you and your, your fiance, what's your fiance's name? Abby. Abby. So say a couple, you and Abby are getting married and you start to have kids and then you're on your, your fourth kid or third kid. And it's like, okay, maybe Abby works at Damascus or whatever, but maybe, maybe she doesn't, or maybe she doesn't. You're still discerning. Like, do we want her to stay home with the kids? Do we want her to keep working? Like 
this is where I think some of the trickiness starts to come about in, in some of these lifelong, if you will, missionary positions that I don't think happens as much when you start to transition people to staff and you just pay them. I think that that's where the, the organization is coming up with the money and they're doing they're collecting their donations. And, and this kind of goes back to what I said. Damn, I'm getting into another like 10 minute question. But this ties back in, bro, to what I said earlier about like the onus is on the company to pay the employees by and large, right? Most of the time. And to me, it's like some of these organizations, again, if you're starting out, if, if you and I are starting our own ministry, bro, we're both going to be fundraising, right? Whether it's fundraising for our own salary, just trying to fundraise for the mission. Like everybody's kind of a, a support, a development officer when you first start, right? If you have four people, yeah. everybody's development. There's no, it just because like if you start a, a for-profit company, everybody's everything, right? Everybody's customer support. Everybody's working on all aspects yeah. of it, you know? Um and that's just kind of how it goes. But then you get to a certain point where it's like, okay, now that we have some money, let's invest in something that's going to actually make a profit so we can pay our employees and we can start to shift some of this model around. What All that to say, going back to it, what are your thoughts on salary caps when it comes to like fundraising caps? Um, and do you have any distinction or thoughts on married, multiple kids, mom staying at home, et cetera, when mm-hmm. you're support raising? Yeah, man. I, so Damascus does have MSR caps. So we say you're able to raise X amount of dollars depending, but even that is depending on, you know, the position that you are in life and, you know, what, what your needs right. may be. If you have, if you have kids, if you're married, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think like, it's one of these weird things where, you know, Paul talks about like, he's like, I, I've lived in poverty. I've lived in abundance. I've done this. I've done that. I've done that. And then it's like, thanks for the lie. I can do all things through through Christ who gives me strength. Like he's able to yep. do all of it through that. And um, I think it's like this weird thing where um, we, uh, we have in, like in Damascus, we have a number of families um, that like young families more and more because more and more missionaries are getting married. They're starting to have kids and they're able to support raise a salary because at least the model that Damascus gives. And I think because people who are giving their support who are giving their money and their, their, their treasure to these families are seeing how awesome it is to witness to a family living a missionary lifestyle in that way. So I actually think it's, it's one of the things, right. You know, um, when you, when you like something is in, you know, simple economic kind of thing, but something is worth what you're willing to pay for it. <laughs> you know, like that's why people can charge, Apple can charge an absurd amount of money for something because people are willing to pay it, yeah. you know? And so it's worth that much. And I think it's like different principle, but it's in the same way. If someone is willing to support, um, if someone's willing to support a family in, in ministry because they believe that, hey, you are doing amazing things as a family. And you, it's awesome to see the fact that you're a dad and your wife can be a stay-at-home mom and you can do mission and raise kids together. Like if they really believe in that and they think there's a value for it, I, I don't see a problem with them wanting to support that no matter how long it goes, you know, maybe that's, you do it for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Um, I think it's actually a beautiful thing when you can see families that are witnessing to the generosity of others and living that ministry lifestyle in that, in that direct way. So I think it's actually a really neat thing when you see um, these, you know, lifelong missionaries. Now, I think in a lot of the examples that you gave and, and where a lot of people in the comments and, you know, the things you shared seem to be upset mm-hmm. or frustrated is where there seems to be a really um, abundant, uh, lavish lifestyle 
um, that's coming from missionaries. Some of them like for like are living way more abundant lives than the, the people that are supporting them, you know? Um, right. And I think from what, from what you shared, that's where I think people also have some hurt because they're seeing, Hey, why I spent a lot of hard work, you know, to get this money. And you're just like, Hey, you know, give me your money and I can, you know, buy my next boat, <laughs> you know, like yeah. there, there's something about that, that I think is, again, there's, there should be like an accountability and, a, and we can't have an entitlement, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I do ministry work for Jesus. So you should give me that money. And if you don't, then, you know, are you really Christian? Like that is horrible. And for anyone who has experienced that, any listeners that have experienced that, I am so sorry that that has been your experience with, you know, with someone asking for your support, because I think that's not the gospel. I think that's not Jesus. I think that there's a much better way to do it. I think the way of doing it is actually inviting people onto mission with you. And it, and they may or may not feel called to. Praise God. Like I've had a lot of rejection from people who are really good people, even friends that are like, hey, I just actually don't feel called like in this season to support that. Or that's not my, my money's going somewhere else. And I love, I love that. I celebrate that because I'm like, wow, praise God that you're, you're giving to something you believe in. And that's amazing. And I think God's call will, will be followed by God's provision. And if God is calling you to live a missionary lifestyle, like if he's calling you to be a, a father that's a missionary or a mother that's a missionary, then I believe he's going to provide for you. And if he's not, I, the re- reality is I think it's more often people don't have enough funds to be a missionary. I think that's the number one reason people leave missionary work is because like, I can't support a family like this. I can't, you know, um, I can't, my wife can't be a stay at home mom like this, you know? And right. um, that might be a sign that God is calling them to something else. But also I think it'd be awesome if there was a world where ministries prioritize being able to build up missionary families um, and make it sustainable for them. Whether that is, you know, fully funding their salary or partially funding their salary or just giving them the resources needed to do it. I do think that, um, again, there should be an awareness and an accountability to the lifestyle, though, that we live as missionaries. So I shouldn't be, there's, you know, it talks about even the possibility of scandal. I think that's like a real thing, you know? And that's why, like, I think there's a potential for scandal. If I, as a missionary, am driving around in a, you know, a Lambo, (laughs) like, is there anything intrinsically wrong with that? Not necessarily, but it all, it, it, in my mind, it would be wrong because it has the opportunity to cause scandal. And I actually have a responsibility as a mission, as a follower, of Christ, regardless of missionary, like as a follower of Jesus to not lead people into scandal. And if that is a, a possibility for like scandal or for people to like lose trust in the church, I have to at least weigh that very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. I think, yeah, I, I think we're, where we definitely agree there is I agree that people should be free to support it. I think I'm surprised at how many people do. And that, mm. that, and not, not all situations, because I agree with what you said. Like certain people are, even if you have a stay at home wife, like if you're living very simply and you're sacrificing to make that happen, I, I really support organizations that have caps that I think are reasonable and that kind of enforce that. Um, I think that that's great and that can be a good thing. I don't know that I would necessarily do it, but I think that I can understand how somebody would. I I am shocked by the people who, and I, I see that there's a lot of pressure. I know there's a lot of pressure um, that comes along with it, even when, when missionaries don't mean to, right? I don't think this is a malicious thing. I think that I've heard interesting quotes from inside, like training of, um, inside the training of certain fundraising and things like that, different organizations. 
uh, that really tell people that like people are honored, like the kind of making these general statements that people always feel good about it. They're excited that you're asking them and really trying to hype them up, which I understand because you have these timid 22 year olds that you're trying to teach sometimes younger, right. That you're trying to teach how to do this. And it's difficult, but at the same time, a lot of people, especially when you're talking about friends and family are going to experience some type of pressure. They're not the, the amount that people would give if they were asked face to face versus if they if it was totally anonymous is is not the same most of the time right i think it's safe to say that 90 to 95 maybe 99% of the time that number would differ right if it was mm-hmm. just a mass if 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 you gave your names and emails to an organization and that organization emailed out all your friends and family asking them and all of them saw it but it was anonymous how much they gave like, would they give the same amount as if they went the way that it normally goes where you ask them individually? I don't think that it would. And I think a lot of these families who are supporting people who even make more money than them or whatever are trying to save their relationship and feel this kind of pressure to give versus actually feeling like, oh, this is a good way for me to spend my money. And what I'm trying to encourage people to do is if you feel that way, if you don't feel that way, then great. Keep doing what you're doing. If you feel like God's calling you to support a family and no matter how well or poorly they're doing financially – if you feel like God's calling you to do it, then do it. But I think what I was trying to do is, is vindicate, and I don't, I'm not saying that you were against this, but what I'm trying to do is vindicate the people, the many people who reached out to me that said, you know, like I did it because of pressure. I did it because I wanted people to like me or whatever. I didn't want to lose the friendship and stuff like that. And you just apologize to the people who have experienced a lot of that stuff. Um, I just want them to feel free to say like, hey, it's okay if you give to your parish instead. It's okay right. if you give to local Catholic organizations instead. And sometimes that could be the better thing to do and that's for you to discern. But my opinion is that if you're talking about a family that's balling out, you know, I heard the, the one comment of like a family went to Disney four times in a year and you can't afford to go on vacation. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, if it's, if you're counting that as part of your 10% tithe, I'm not telling you to not give it away, but maybe you give it to somebody else. Maybe you're not paying for their Disney vacation, you know, for their ice cream party at Disney. Maybe you start paying for, like I said, the snacks at the local youth group or for your local homeless shelter or whatever it is, because that yeah. would be a better use of your tithe, in my opinion. I don't know. There's a certain point where I think if you're just giving to somebody's excess, you're not actually giving to a tithe. It, it can't be considered tithe forever. If it's actually well, going I, I to, think it's one, if somebody is driving a Lambo, if you were driving a Lambo, I'd be like, I don't know, Lord, can I actually count this as part of my 10% <laughs> if it's just going to right. your car payment, you know? Well, and I think it's like this thing where, right, you know, big, big, big drag racing guy. Uh, the like the idea that um, we have again a, a responsibility for every dollar we spend. You know, at the end of at the end of time, we're gonna have to give an account for all the things we did, and that includes what we support. You know, what what we use our money for, and that's you know that should be a responsibility. You know, there's a there's a healthy fear of the Lord that should guide our spending decisions and our supporting decisions. You know, so I don't want people to feel pressured to support me because they, you know, their family with me. And actually for me, my, my immediate family didn't like, it's only the re in recent years where, um, a number of siblings have like, as they've gone older and had jobs or whatever, have like given me like some support and stuff. But I, I think it's like one of the things there where I don't want people to feel pressured to support me because they like me. I want them. And this is why I need to be so clear and straightforward when I, when I approach people is like, Hey, I want you to have a passion, not just for me as a person, but for the ministry work I'm doing. Because if you don't, mm-hmm. you know, then I then then you're just spending your money on something that you, you don't actually believe in. Whereas that those same dollars could be given to something you really are passionate and believe in, and your heart is engaged, not just your money is engaged. 
you know? And I think that's mm-hmm. like an important thing where I want people's hearts to be engaged in the work that I'm doing or whatever mi- mission that they support or parish they support. I want their heart. It's not just about the money is their heart there. That's why it's not just fundraising in our mind. It's support raising. It's like, we want you to be on mission with us. And if you don't feel called to this mission, that is awesome because not every single person on the planet is called to support the mission of Damascus. You know, it's like you're called to yeah. support different things and God will give you passions again. And, and he'll, he'll guide you. You need to actually lean on the Holy spirit though, and not make a decision based on pressure or fear, but actually go to the Lord and say, Hey, where are you wanting me to spend my, my, my money or my resources? I love when I ask people and they're like, Hey, my wife and I are going to go pray about it. And we're going to like ask God where he wants where he wants us to, you know, invest. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because that means I know that if they say yes, then they're actually saying like, Hey, I'm all in for this. We feel called to this. And if they say no, they're like, right. Hey, actually we pray about it. And it's not something we feel called to. And I can celebrate that regardless of the outcome. Cause I know they're doing what God wants. And that's where I think we just need to be sensitive to the Holy spirit and actually ask what, like, where am I supposed to give? Not just where am I feeling pressured to give? Absolutely. Yeah, it's super interesting, man. I think part of the part of the problem here with you is that you're one of the best. You know, you're you're one of the, <laughs> you're one of the good ones. When I describe the problems with a lot of missionaries, you don't have it. That's why I think that's part of the problem here. Um, but I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's a good thing. Ultimately, obviously, I'm just giving you a hard time, but um, <laughs> I think that's I think that's right. And I think that this is the mindset we need to look for, and that. This is what I'm trying to encourage people to do. Be more mindful, be more prayerful as you just, everything you just said in, in your giving and how you're giving and praying about, is this um, giving me the mindset or taking away from my responsibility, my feelings of responsibility and ownership for my local community and my local yeah. parish? How can I be more, play, take a more active role in my workplace mission work, you know, wherever I am, wherever God's planted me to also do the mission that I support other people in doing and bring that to wherever I am as well. Um, in my place and time, right? Uh, how can I continue to seek formation while I'm supporting this other person while they're experiencing undergoing intense formation? How can I continue to go under undergo formation? And right. that can be great things. I know I've had missionaries that share the books that they're reading and different things like that. And some of those recommendations can go a long way too. Um, but to discern these things, I think to look at them and not feel bad about it if you discern that it's not for you. And I think that that can be, um, I think that's a really good message and, and an important one for people to hear from you. Now I have a fun question. I just got to ask you because you're the only person that can answer this is, do you feel, and I, I, I don't know if I know your answer to it or not. So I'm really curious to see. <laughs> I have a guess, but I'm curious. It, it was just the last question that I wrote out there. Do you feel or see any type of difference in the money that you make? If, if I call you up and I say, hey, I want to pay you $3,000 to come do a concert. And I know you're probably 10 grand. You know, you're big time now. You're on <laughs> Halloween and all kinds of stuff. You're Sony. So maybe, maybe I don't yeah, mean right. to, you know, <laughs> insult you. Maybe you're 25 grand to come do a, a parish no. concert for us. No, I'm just kidding. But if I pay you whatever to come do a parish concert or support raising, do you feel any difference of those funds? And like, talk to me about that. What do you, what is kind of your feelings around that? Yeah. I, I mean, I will say for the, for this, if I'm like, the money that I get from support raising, um, I actually I feel more of like a, a healthy burden for, if that makes sense. Like I yeah. think there's more of like a I need to I need to be careful with how like I spend. Like you described this. earlier. Yeah, and I, that's one of the that. Whereas like if I you know money for concert, I'm like oh cool you know like I feel like there's a little little more loose at least for me and maybe this isn't good but I'm like there's a little more loose like 
oh, like, you know, I've been needing a new computer for a couple of years. And so I can, you know, take this money and spend it on a new computer to, you know, to do this. Or I can, you know, go on this, you know, fun trip with a friend. And, you know, I think there's more of like a, um, I think for me, there's more of a, uh, like, responsibility that comes when it's like other people who have like generously supported that I feel like a more of like a, hey, I need to make sure that this is, um, that this is important. Now in the ideal world, again, I should probably be doing that for both sides of things, but in, in honesty, I feel like sometimes it's easier to, when it's like an extra thing, like when it's the music business side of things, um, there's more of like, a, oh, this is extra money. So I can invest it here and I can spend it here and I can, I can do these, these types of things. But in the same way, like I, I do feel like, and this is one of the ways that I've had to shift my mindset from like this, um, hey, um, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I'm just this poor missionary, please support me. And I'm like, like, like this timidity of like, you're doing me this huge service. And like, I, I should be like, falling at your feet and like gratitude and appreciation, which I, I, again, don't remember. I'm sober. Every supporter is allowed me to do what I do. And I believe in the work that I do. I see people impacted on the regular by the work of Damascus and in particular Damascus worship. Um, but at this point now, I think my, my mentality has shifted in the sense of, I, I think it is like the people around my team are, it seem excited to be on the team. And they're like, hey, I actually am really glad because you're doing work that I wish I could have been doing when I was your age. Or I wish that I could have, you know, had more of a direct role in this. And um, you get to do that. And I'm excited to support you. So it's like I get to live in gratitude that they're giving that to me. And I want to work hard because of it. And they get to live in gratitude that, hey, there's like this on fire young missionary that loves the Lord and is, is building the kingdom in ways that I'm not able to in that direct way. So I think for me, though, both both sides of things, whether it's Damascus or um, music thing, it's like I had to work my butt off to get to where I'm at in the music world. <laughs> you know, it's like a it's a crazy. I mean, there's a whole other thing, but it's a crazy world. And I had to work my butt off to get there. And, and the Lord opened so many doors and he made it possible. And that's awesome. In the same sense, with when it comes to my other job, like with Damascus, I work my butt off every day because I want to see the kingdom of God grow. And so it doesn't feel like a handout to me. You know, it's like I'm actively doing work that I believe is valuable. And it's like Jesus said, you know, like the laborer deserves his wages. And it's like I not in a, not in a entitlement mentality at all. It's not like, hey, I do good work, so give me money. <laughs> you know, it's like mm -hmm. hey, I'm both of these things I'm passionate about pouring my all into. And so I, I'm grateful for the financial blessing that comes from both sides of it. And I'm grateful for it. And it's like. But it doesn't feel like – neither of them feels like a handout. That's basically I think what, what I'm trying to say here is it's like a cool place where um, both sides of things, I feel like there is like the Lord is clearly um, blessing and allowing me to work hard for in both fronts and I get satisfaction from both sides of it. I love it, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool to hear. And yeah, I, I mean, just in kind of wrapping up, is there anything else from the podcast? I want to give you just some time. If there's anything else that I said on the other episode that you wanted to address here while we had uh, some time. I was just going to ask it. I was just going to ask you to join my support team. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were cracking up one night when we were just talking about, you know, getting some, getting some dirty looks and getting some negative feedback. From, yeah. Oops, my bad. From some local people. And I was just like, I was like, hey, I guess, you know, one positive thing is we're going to get a lot less support asks. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, yeah, I mean, I, 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 love conversations. I love conversations like this. I think what you brought to the table is, hey, one, nothing is untouchable. And 
maybe there's there's a better way that we can go about it. In my opinion, I think support raising is an awesome thing. It's allowed me to do what I do. Um, I've seen the benefits had in my life and other people's lives. I've also know like like you said, there's good fruit and there's also sometimes not good fruit. You know, there's bad negative fruit. And I think it comes back to the source. You know, what kind of heart am I doing this from? Is it an entitlement heart or is it a heart of generosity? You know, is it, um, am I doing this like because I love what I'm doing and I'm passionate about it and I want to bring people into it? Or is it an obligation that I feel like I have to do because it's like the holier thing? Am I pressuring people or am I inviting? You know, it's like, where is the source coming from? Because I think so much of that determines the fruit. So I love support raising. I'm passionate about it. I've struggled with it. Like, believe me, I still, in some ways, struggle with it. Um, I've, I've never, I mean, again, at Damascus, we have a cap. I've never hit the cap. I've, I've not even really come close to it. Like, I, I'm not the best support raiser in the world. Like, but I, I love never it. And I, cap. <laughs> no cap. That's um, really funny. And, uh, but I love it because I've seen how it has impacted me and how it's impacted people. Um, and at the same time, simultaneously, I think we have, we have, as missionaries, if you're listening to this as a missionary, we have a responsibility to, to demonstrate Jesus to the world. Would Jesus support raise in the same way we do? Would he make asks in the same way we do? Would he respond to people the same way we do? Because we're called to be his hands. Everyone's called to be his hands and feet. But in a particular way, people are looking at missionaries to set the tone. And I think we need to, be, we need to do better at actually being Jesus to the people that we're ministering to and ministering with and ministering for. So be Jesus. And uh, that's basically the message that I want to leave. Boom. Can't wrap it up better than that, baby. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. This is so fun. I yeah, am I'm very grateful for your time and for you coming to, to chat with me about this, man. Dude, I had a blast. I mean, any, I think we should just like do these for fake sometimes. Like you can, you can just be like, Hey, let's talk about this topic. It does, doesn't even have to be on a podcast, man. I just love the dialogue. I think it's so fun. It's awesome, man. Well, thank you. And thank you to everybody that, that listened today. I, we appreciate your time and super grateful for you taking the time to listen to some Seeking Excellence and um, highly recommend checking out Seth. So Seth, tell us where you can, where they can find your music and you on social media and all that kind of stuff. Seth Schleter. It's Seth, S-E-P-H, not Seth. Everyone thinks I have like a lisp and I'm talking weird, but it's, it's Seth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, any, I mean, social media, Seth Schleter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. We also release stuff, Damascus Worship. We just released Be Down My Vision. We're kind of we're doing like some re re uh reintroducing old church hymns. So uh check out Damascus Worship if you like old church hymns. Um it's pretty sweet. Let's go. That's great, man. Well thank you. And uh just yeah, encourage everybody just to listen to what Seth said there at the end that we're all called to be missionaries and that we all should be striving to live and and be Jesus out to the world and obviously evangelization missionaries have a special calling to do that in their own unique ways. And so I want to encourage you as always to be your best and God bless you.